90 plus percent. I don't think we rode together 90 plus percent of that ride. Who got the truth? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Who got the truth now? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Sit me down. Say it straight. Another story on the way. Who got the truth? Welcome to episode 19 of Acquired, the podcast where we talk about technology acquisitions. I'm Ben Gilbert. I'm David Rosenthal. And we are your hosts. Today's episode is the big news of the last few weeks, Walmart acquiring Jet.com. I think this set a new record in terms of episode requests that I got, Ben. Yeah, if you combine email, Slack, in-person, Twitter, I think I I personally saw north of 10. We got to give the people what they want. It's true. Before we dive into it, um, I want to do a community spotlight. We uh, we have a listener. His name is Chris Laurent, and he has an app called NowDo, invoicing like it's the future. So NowDo is to do super fast invoicing for teams. It's actually a slap Slack app powered by Stripe. And if you're interested in uh, doing some invoicing for your team, you should go check them out. They're at NowDo.ai, which I love those AI TLDs. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so listeners out there, let us know, uh, get at us at, uh, acquired FM at gmail.com on the website, on Twitter, uh, if you would like to be on the next community showcase and we'd love to, uh, tell everyone what you're up to. Yep. Or on Slack. And if you're not in the Slack community, uh, go to our website to join lots of good discussion, um, from lots of people, not just Ben and me. Acquired.fm. A breath of fresh air from David and I. All right. Well, David, this is the perfect time to talk about one of our favorite companies, Statsig. Yes. When we had VJ on ACQ2 earlier this year, they were already a pretty impressive kind of Series B stage startup with a killer team and early product market fit. But what's happened since and the scale that they're operating at now is pretty wild. This is where we get lucky in being very choosy with our sponsors. Sometimes these things happen to them while we're mid-flight. Yes. So I asked them for some fun stats. In the past month, Statsig shipped actual live product experiments to over 1.2 billion end users. Now, that stat is not deduplicated across apps, so there's some overlap. But I mean, even if you cut that in half to approximate actual flesh and blood human people out there, that's almost 10% of the world's population. Crazy. Okay, so that's one. Two. Statsig now processes about 130 billion events per day. So the infrastructure that Statsig now has to support these data volumes is pretty wild. And it's not like they just execute these events. They then take all the data from them, run huge statistical jobs across the whole corpus to compute the experiment results that their customers are running. It is just wild. It's funny. I hadn't thought to make this comparison until right now. So you said 1.7 million events a second. If you look at the visa numbers, I just pulled up my visa notes. Visa does 8,600 transactions per second. So that's what, 200 times as much throughput at Statsig than at Visa? On the customer side, Statsig added arguably almost all of the most important AI companies in the world this year, including Microsoft, Atlassian, Anthropic, along, of course, with regular old companies like Notion and UiPath and Lattice and Brex and Friends of the Show Rec Room. The team also kept shipping super fast. At the start of the year, they had just one 
core product. Today, they're a full-fledged product understanding platform. They have dedicated feature flagging, warehouse native experimentation, and product analytics. Yep. So if your team wants the best platform in the world for making data-driven product decisions, you should reach out. Statsig.com slash acquired. And as always, there is special white glove onboarding for all acquired listeners. Our huge thanks to Statsig. So uh, on to this week's topic. David, you want to do the acquisition history and facts? As always. Um, So Jet.com... Blockbuster acquisition this month by Walmart, over $3 billion for a company that was two years old, but had only been public for a year. But the story actually starts... And, and not gone public, but... Or been, it had been launched publicly yeah, for a year. Yeah. Um, but the story starts way before then, actually. Uh, back in 2005, when Mark Laurie, who is one of the co-founders and CEO of Jet founded another company called Quidzy, which you may or may not have heard of, but you may know uh, its main uh, operating business, which was diapers.com. Killer domain. Killer domain name. And um, and the Quidzy story actually starts even earlier than that when Mark started his first company, which got sold to Tops, the trading card company. And he moved out here to Seattle to run this divi- new division of Tops. Um, and when he was here in Seattle... Uh, he was thinking about going into e-commerce and starting diapers.com. And uh, his daughter went to a private school here in Seattle uh, that Jeff Bezos's children just happened to go to as well. Hey! And so they met at like a school picnic one day and chatted about e-commerce. And uh, little did they know the intersections that would be to come. Wow. So this is 2001 before he started Quidzy. Um, Jeff was obviously, what, six, seven years in, in full force with Amazon. Yep. Sometime between 2001 and 2005, this happened. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, you know, e-commerce was a thing. Amazon was, uh, you know, it, they were not a startup anymore. This was a, a a very real company. It's not like they were both ideating that maybe e-commerce will be a thing together. No, Amazon was a thing. Yeah. Public company. Um, and uh, and Lori was thinking about uh, thinking about jumping into the fray. Which he did in 2005 when he started diapers.com. And there is a great history of diapers.com. Would make a good episode for us someday, but it's already been covered very well in the Everything Store, which is the fantastic book about Amazon. Um, and uh, the punchline is that after a protracted negotiation during which Amazon tried to basically clone and then compete with and undercut on prices for everything, diapers.com and all of their other soap.com and many other properties. Um, Amazon ended up acquiring the company in 2010 for $545 million. Do you know why that didn't work? <laughs> it seems like Amazon would have the resources to continue to, to um, you know, deep discount, win on price, and then eventually put them out of business. They would, but there is an important other player in this story which we will see comes back again the second time, mm. that Walmart was also interested in acquiring diapers.com. Oh, wow. So it came to had the made a bid for the company. I see. I see. So Amazon's strategy maybe was working. Very but... defensive, prevent. Uh, literally, in, in the Everything Store, um, uh, the Brad Stone writes about um, that, that Bezos gave direction to his corp dev team, like, do not under any circumstances allow Walmart to buy this company. Wow. 
Yeah, super interesting. Super interesting. So um, Amazon buys diapers. Um, Lori and uh, the many employees of, of Quidzy go and work for Amazon. Uh, the Quidzy was established in, uh, in New Jersey, actually, in Hoboken. Um, so uh, Mark moved. And as was Jet, right? Jet's based as out was of Jet, New Jersey. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, Amazon, much like they did with Zappos, left diapers alone. It's still an independently operating company fully owned by Amazon. Um, Lori continues to run it uh, for a couple of years. And two years later, in 2013, he leaves. And he starts thinking about um, what he's going to do next. Did, was that on good terms? Do you know how he left? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Um especially now that the jet acquisition has happened um you know the as chronicled in the everything store and elsewhere you know the negotiations and the tactics that amazon used in acquiring diapers uh were aggressive um Mm. and Lori was not a fan of amazon and especially after having worked there and so when it when he leaves in 2013 which is pretty quickly um you know we don't know what the terms of his uh retention package were but i got to imagine it was longer than sort of two-ish years that he stayed there yeah um he's kind of got a chip on his shoulder and he wants to gun for amazon and bezos kind of with a vengeance yeah and i think he rips on when he was starting jet or talking about the reasons behind starting jet he rips on amazon's culture a little bit and he's talking about uh, among the many you know ways that he wants to compete with amazon on on jet being well i'll leave you to tell the business strategy but he he wants to create a place that's not such a cutthroat culture absolutely i've I've got the quote right here he does he gives a, a quote in the new york times after he leaves Amazon and as he's starting Jet, <clears throat> he says, I saw that it didn't at, at Amazon, I saw that it didn't matter how you treated people. You just paid them enough so you didn't care if you burned them out and then you got new people and burned them out. It was an environment of very short term thinking. Wow. Which is, you know, we talk about Amazon all the time on the show and we praise them for their incredible long term thinking. Yeah. I don't, I don't think of Amazon as, a, as an environment of short term thinking, but, uh, We'll get to that. Yeah. So, so he starts Jet uh, in um, the summer of 2014, and the vision, the idea that he has is that Amazon obviously is very, very good at what it does, but Amazon's core customer is not your average American. It's the upper class. It's wealthy individuals, upper middle class um, people who actually care. Uh, they care about price, but they also care a lot about convenience and selection. Amazon's holy trinity, which we will come back to. Um, and he thinks there's an opportunity to compete directly with Amazon and to compete on price, to be the low price discount retailer on the internet. And the model that he has for that is Costco. Um, another great Seattle company. Another great Seattle company. The intersections are just amazing here. <laughs> um and so, and so an, another quote that he says is, as he's starting the company um, in this interview is he, is he says, there's this huge middle class of people that are going to be spending more and more dollars online. And for them, it's going to be all about price and that they'll be willing to trade off convenience and selection versus price. So he has this big vision. He's going to win the core middle class of America away from Amazon. Um and he's he's not going about this small. He goes big. So he raises a seed round mm-hmm. from NEA, uh, Excel, Bain, and WTI. 
uh, as he's starting the company. So this is July 2014, one year away from launch, hmm. just starting the company, raises $80 million right off the bat. Wow. Yeah. I mean, anybody who's going out and raising a seed now and knowing what, what valuation you're getting, like there are a small handful of people in the world that could do a seed like that and instill enough trust to say, yeah, you know, my, my seed venture, um, you can have what, 20 to 25% of it or something for $80 million. That's incredible. Uh, and, and he's not done. He doesn't stop there. February of 2015, we're still months away from launch. They haven't sold a single thing. The website isn't live, anything. Hmm. He raises another $140 million. So before they even launch the company, launch the product, uh, he's raised $220 million. Wow. And I remember, you know, I remember hearing about this when it was going on and everyone that had been you know, burned in the, the late 90s talking about, oh my God, the bubble's back. This company is, it doesn't even have a great plan to make revenue. They yep. haven't launched a product yet. Pets.com all over again. Yeah. Um, well, uh, needless to say, there was a lot of hype when they finally launched on July 21st, 2015. So just over a year ago, a year ago, as we sit here today, um, and when they launched, they spent a ton of that money on advertising, customer acquisition. Hmm. I remember I was in um, I was in New York City uh, last fall, uh, shortly after they launched, and like Jet had bought out like felt like half of the subways on on New York City uh, in New York City, and there you know billboards all over the place, all over the country. They um, they did not go, they did not play small ball here. Yeah, and they actually, I think they had a pretty successful organic invite campaign too, where they they gave people um, like six months of free membership. I think it was called the Jet Insider Program. Um, yeah, I have it here. Yep. And refers were given up to, yeah, that's it, uh, six months of free site membership. And they got almost 400,000 people, 350,000 people that uh, that signed up for the early membership program. So, I mean, that, that's pretty incredible to be able to build a base of 350,000 users pre-launch. Yeah, absolutely. And they did it by, as you mentioned, giving away free membership for six months. So we mentioned a minute ago that the model for how Lori and Jet were going to compete with Amazon uh, was they were going to use the Costco model. And so the idea was that Jet was a membership site and it cost $50 a year to be a member. And half of Prime. Half of Prime. Yep, half of Prime. And that the company, Lori, was super explicit about this, that um, much like Costco, if you actually look at like Costco's financial statements um, and you take uh, the, amount of the, the amount of money that they make from membership fees and you look at their net income, like it's basically the same thing. They make oh, wow. no money on everything they sell in the store. The only money they make is from the membership fees. And so that was what Jet was going to do. So he, again, this is like, this isn't us talking. This is straight from Lori here. Quote, he says, the bottom line is we're basically not making a dime on any of the transactions. We're passing it all back to the consumer. So they weren't going to charge membership fees for six months. If you were part of a, a Jet Insider, you didn't have to pay for six months, but then they were going to charge $50 which, a year. Which really is only a $25 value. I mean, we're actually, it, for those of us who are no longer price sensitive because to the, a membership fee like that, because we're used to paying $100 of Prime a year, like right. giving me $25 toward that, sure, like that that's interesting, but it's not like, it doesn't seem like a huge reward and it doesn't seem like a huge barrier to keep me away from signing up either. 
like the convenience afforded by fast shipping and I guess they, they weren't quite doing as fast shipping, but free shipping, it, it, it seems, of course, worth a Prime membership. Or yep. this, this case. Well, and so it. then it comes down to like, okay, so what was Jet actually doing? And the whole idea, again, was that price was most important. And so they had a goal that everything that you would buy on Jet would be 10 to 15% cheaper than you could get anywhere else uh, online. And by that, they meant Amazon. Um, so they actually built a lot of tech around this. And the whole idea was to incentivize customers to buy more than one thing at a time. So like the default behavior that Lori saw with Amazon and that, you know, I definitely fall into this category. I don't know if you do, you do Ben too, is that once you're a prime member, you're like, oh, I need this. I'm going to order it like right now, one off. Like I'm not going to wait and order a bunch of stuff. Whenever I need something, I just order it and it comes. Right. And they've slipped away from that a little bit with things like Prime Pantry or add-on items where I no longer subscribe and save, which they got from diapers.com. Oh, interesting. Yeah. With, with those, um, with those kind of mechanics, I'm a a little bit less confident in Amazon actually than I I was, um, call it three years ago before those things when I would just be like, oh, I'll just prime it. I'm, I'm sure it will get here. And I'm sure I'll be able to get it free and right now. And, you know, when you when that's the promise for so long and then you um, you have a couple of these things where it's like you need to buy something else to get the free shipping. It yep. does actually sting you a little bit. It does. It does. And so what Jet did, um, a couple things. You had to hit minimum order amounts to get free shipping. Mm. Um, but also as you added more items to your cart and in particular items and they would incentivize surface these items and incentivize you to do it um, that were lo- physically located in the same fulfillment center. Mm, so it costs less, um, so cost less to assemble this package and you could send it all in one box. They would then drop the price on your, on your items in your total order as you were basically doing these behaviors that they were incentivizing. Um, and the idea was, and another thing that they did uh, and still do is, I believe, is if you use a debit card instead of a credit card, you'll get a 1.5%. Oh, they give uh, you half the interchange yep, back? Yep, they give you half the interchange back. Um, if you, This is super interesting. If you waive your right to return anything, then they'll give you an extra discount on... Um, uh, if you waive your right to return certain items, you'll, they'll give you a discount on those items. Uh, that's so interesting. I mean, all these things are like wildly ambitious, very interesting. Um, they're intuitive. Yep. Like, and require think, a lot of technology, actually. Right, right. A lot of technology and a ton of financial modeling. I mean, you have to imagine that they're figuring out what return rates are, what it's worth to them, if they're going to make the trade-off between customer maybe getting dissatisfied with something they have and blaming the Jet brand versus... Um, how much it costs them to facilitate the return and actually accept the the, the thing back. All uh, I, all this is very ambitious and interesting. Uh, maybe too short of a time frame since it's only been a year. But yep. like, did well, it, did it work? Interesting. So let's remember all of this. You know, the stated goal is all the savings that we're going to get operationally from this. Uh, we're going to pass back to the consumer, um, and we're going to. Our, our starting prices are going to be so low anyway that we're basically not making any gross margin anyway. Um, and the whole idea was the membership fee would make up for that. Well, a couple months go by. We get to October 2015 and the other shoe drops. And for whatever reason, I got to imagine the internal data was showing that it was a flop. And that's what, um, like three months after they launched? Yeah, three, uh, three months after they launched. Jet announces that they're dropping the membership fee. So it's now completely free open to anyone to shop on jet um 
and the prices are still going to be really low. So they basically said our only profit engine we're killing. <laughs> I'm reminded of um, the you know the quote that people often they don't really anymore, but they used to talk about Amazon. Like the um, the equity analysts would say that you know when they were down on Amazon that it was a charity being run for the benefit of the American consumer. What Jet <laughs> literally became a charity being run for the benefit of the American consumer. Wow. Um, and, 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 you know, so Lori's, uh, you know, statement on this was that they decided that on some items, the data showed them that they actually didn't need to discount 10 to 15%. They would only discount four to 5%. Mm. Uh, and that's how they would make money. But remember, again, they're discounting four to 5% relative to Amazon, which already has like incredibly low prices Mm -hmm. and drives massive and can get those prices through massive scale and negotiating power with suppliers and their incredible supply chain and everything. So with all those advantages, Amazon still maintains this razor thin, razor thin profit margin. So the fact that the idea that you could take Amazon's profit gross margin on items, uh, knock it down by another four to 5%, do all the fulfillment yourself and still make money, uh, perhaps suspect here. Uh, but nonetheless, the very next month, in November of 2015, they managed to raise another $350 million round uh, that Fidelity leads. Um, this time, it was publicized at a $1.4 billion post-money valuation. Okay, so David, you are a venture capitalist. You get Mark Laurie approaching you for this round. Why would and the, you and the, and the, you know, I got to imagine, like, if not slide one, but somewhere in the pitch deck is the slide that says... Oh yeah, our our profit model, we we just killed that. Right, right. So what what could possibly be the thing where you're like, you know, we painted it as a pretty negative story so far. Why would you do it? Here's why you do it. Uh so they announce the round in uh November 2015, another 350 million dollars. In December 2015, in Q4 holidays, you know, the big moment for retail, um, at the end of December, they announced that they now have 2 million active customers uh, and that they did 33 million in revenue in December alone. Uh, This is for a company that only launched six months ago. So this is incredible, incredible growth. So so it's growth even though, you know, even at this point in history... um you you would have been still suspect on the unit economics of the business. It's it still seems like a a, a good investment opportunity. Go go go, Ben. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, and I mean, I'm sure this was the story was and is still the story that to compete with somebody like Amazon in e-commerce and in retail, um, you need to acquire customers and you need to make a huge splash and you need to just make this massive investment in that customer acquisition plus the infrastructure. And to do that, you're going to have to lose money for a long time. And Amazon itself lost money for a long time, as we all know. Yeah. And I wonder too, like, is it, is Mark Lurie going into making that pitch without any hedges and saying, you know, this is a hundred year company, we're going to be enduring, we're going to serve the middle class. Or or is there something in there where you're like, ooh, this this could be a quick turnaround, like something like this Walmart thing could happen. Well, that's what I was going to say, you know, whether this was a slide in the pitch deck, literally or metaphorically, we'll never know. But I got to imagine going through all of these investors' minds are, hey, this is a get to scale play. And if Jet can get to scale, maybe there's some chance that they can build a 
you know, a, a sustainable standalone business here, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of people in this world who are very threatened by Amazon mm-hmm. and who would love to have an opportunity to bring into their fold an at-scale e-commerce business, of which there are basically one in the world, in the U.S. right now, which is Amazon. Right, right, right. So... um We'll get to that in a second. So that was December 2015, May 2016. So a couple months ago, um, Jet announces again that now they did 90 million in revenue in May of 2016. So they've tripled revenue, monthly revenue uh, from the December holidays. And December, of course, is the biggest revenue oh, wow. month for any retailer. So their so year over year would have been way up. Way, way, way. Well, it was it was infinite because they weren't even launched in May of 2015. Right. But presuming that they could compare it to a, a, a quarter. Right. The growth is, the growth is incredible. Yeah. Um, no doubt about that. Uh, but what was interesting is uh, shortly after that announcement, um, last month, uh, so July 2016, uh, Lori does another interview with Fortune. I <laughs> think it's clearly uh, PR was one of their customer acquisition strategies. Yeah. Uh, and Lori is very good at that and has always been. Um, but it's interesting, this quote that he says in this interview last month, he says, well, uh, this being American e- you know, retail e-commerce has never been a winner-take-all market, uh, which you know, he, he wasn't exactly saying it was before, but he was kind of like, hey, Amazon, I'm coming for you. I'm going to beat you right. before that. He says, this has never been a winner-take-all market. There will be a really large number two, three, and four, and we can be one of those. So he's basically said, I give up. I can't be number one. So this is a good time. I mean, we a lot of times we pause and wait for tech trends till later. Um for for new listeners, we've got uh, our sections coming up, our acquisition category, what would have happened otherwise, what tech theme does this illustrate for you, then we grade the acquisition. And rather than saving this for what tech themes, it, you know, David, is he wrong about the future, that the economics that the internet creates can turn retail into a winner-take-all market? Well, I think, you know, if you go back to our our favorite analysts on this show, Ben Thompson, and you know, the idea of aggregation theory, this kind of is the underpinning, you know, sort of ideology of the internet and internet business models is that you can take all of these industries that before the internet um, were by necessity fragmented and could have multiple winners because you needed physical store space in, you know, every market in town. And that led to, you know, some companies would do better in some locations and others and others. All of a sudden, there there's only one storefront and it's right. a website. And, um, and that can lead to just this huge ability to aggregate. You know, if you can create the best customer experience, and we'll get back to this a lot, um, I want to talk about the idea of the customer experience of Amazon versus the customer experience of Jet, that the, the best customer experience is going to win and be a winner take all. Yeah. And I'm I'm trying to look up a stat here. Um, e-commerce has a percentage of U.S. retail revenue. In 2012, I, I, I'm sure it's only a few percentage points more now, but in 2012, it was like 5%. Like, there is so much of retail that is transacted physically that has yet to move to online. And uh, you and I were talking about this the other day. 
about I'm doing the dumb thing where I try and time the market and wait for a little dip in Amazon so I can buy it and then realize like that that you know short term little gain and then hold on to it for the long point the the long while and you're making the obvious point that Ben there's so much retail that still has to move to online there's 10x or 100x more growth left in this company if they continue to conquer the way that they are and I do wonder as all this, you know, the 90% of of retail that's left physically as it moves to online, is that um, Mark Laurie comment, is history going to disprove that, right? Is is it, maybe it will be a winner take all market because um, if you vertically integrate and, and have all of the distribution centers and, and the best customer experience and the best customer experience. Yeah. And you have all that under one roof like Amazon or maybe what Jet could be maybe retail is a winner-take-all in the future. Well, um, I think we should talk a lot more about that. Uh, we'll just wrap up real quick yeah. acquisition, acquisition history and facts um, because we're at the end here. Uh, so August 8th, um, last week as we're recording this, uh, bombshell announcement, <clears throat> Walmart acquires Jet for $3.3 billion, $3 billion in cash, and 300 million in stock retention incentives for employees. So a couple quick things on this. Um, one, Mark Laurie is going to continue to run Jet. It'll be a standalone property, taking the Amazon model here, like Zappos and like diapers. Uh, but he's also going to run walmart.com. Um, and uh, they have a pretty significant... Um, lockup on him so uh, a huge portion we it's been reported that a undisclosed but huge portion of his uh financial outcome from this deal uh both in the stock incentives uh that were the 300 million and and i think also a big part of what he would earn from the cash up front um is going to be subject to him staying at walmart for five years wow which is quite long compared to uh, you know traditional lockups in in tech acquisitions. Right, right. Um, and he owned a tremendous amount of this company still, something like a quarter or a third, uh, even after all this money. Even went after in. all that money raised, yeah. Um, don't know exactly because yeah, we reported. don't know the valuations on the early rounds, but um, but he definitely owned a lot. Hmm. Um, and super interesting, and and so much of the um, so much of the press uh both the press uh and um the actual statements from walmart about this deal are you know clearly a lot is about yeah the fact that they're putting in the acquisition announcement that he's going to run walmart.com it's like (laughs) obviously you don't pay 3.3 billion for a person but they really wanted mark (laughs) glory well we'll get into that uh next in in acquisition category but but to come back to um uh to this idea of you know is there going to be a really large number two, three, four in, um, in us retail e-commerce, man, it is really hard for me to imagine that. Yeah. I think right now I was trying to do some research research the other day and who is the number two to Amazon right now? Like it is, is there a meaningful second large e-commerce site? And what it comes down to is that there are category by category, um, I was talking to a friend who uh, who used to work at Amazon, and he was saying that that you know in electronics, there's obviously like your Best Buys of the world that that dominate online in that category. Still, generally way behind Amazon, but um, there is no you know massive horizontal platform like like Amazon is that that gives you a a strong number two. 
Yeah. And I think, um, well, let's, let's, uh, let's continue this discussion in tech themes, but, um, let's do category first. So this is a tough one. Uh, where are you going to put it, Ben? Yeah. So my, I sort of have like a little flow chart here. I don't believe that Microsoft, (laughs) that's a good Freudian slip. I don't believe that Walmart will independently operate jet.com forever. I think that um, they take the learnings from that and roll it into their business. They could do something really insane and bet the farm on jet that they actually keep jet alive and pour all the walmart.com resources into that. Mm. Um, but I don't think they'll do it. I think what ends up happening is they run jet as a standalone thing for a few more years. They take the learnings from it. Maybe even they, they take the entire model and rebrand jet.com as walmart.com mm-hmm. and keep that entire model as, as the, the way to do Walmart e-commerce. But I, if they had permanently kept it alive i would have said business line but since i have low confidence in that um it's a people and a technology acquisition yeah I, th- I think it's it's actually more the people that know how to build the technology i think they've probably built a tremendous amount of interesting technology now but it's really the fact that walmart other than walmart labs who built the mobile app but that's much less sophisticated doesn't have in their dna a strong technology background and i think with buying such a uh, a large group of people who are running such a fast-growing business it's like can we overcome this tipping point of making this actually a place for technologists to go like amazon is rather than what you usually see in these scenarios of buying a smaller company and those people just a trit at some point it's like yeah it, is is jet a big enough buy that we actually can tip the scales and say you know what you are a sophisticated developer and and architect that or can, product can person whatever, or whatever yeah, yeah that that is interested in in building the future of this stuff this is the most interesting place to be yep no question there's that part of it you know as i was thinking about this i was going through the you know our standard rubric of categories and i kind of went down the list i'm like hmm okay well people there's definitely a big aspect of that in in yeah. Lori and and the other people at Jet um, Technology. Also, exactly as you were saying, a big aspect of of that to this deal. Product. I don't think there's really a lot of product here because I mean Jet was a pl- retail platform, not a, not a product itself. So maybe maybe not that one as much. Business line. Yep, they're adding the Jet.com business line, um, and then asset too. The category we added last time uh, with Waze. Um, very much so in the press release that Walmart puts out here they they note um that uh they make sure to like i think the second bullet that they call out about the rationale is <clears throat> that jet has a growing customer base of urban and millennial customers boy that doesn't sound like Walmart's base yeah who does not <laughs> shop at Walmart urban and millennial customers um so there's definitely a asset buy here in the customer um the customer base um I think you're right, though. At the core, like the two biggest reasons are the people and the technology. Um, but it kind of like could fit into multiple buckets here. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's funny, as you say, that the millennial generation and the urban the urban dwellers are more of the jet base. And that's so obviously not Walmart. I saw a couple comparisons um, on a couple other podcasts I listened to and then um, in, in Stratechery to uh, Walmart being this generation's Sears and mm, yeah. kind, of, kind of fading into irrelevancy because the factors that made them big are not aligned with the, the current generation. And, you know, you see this this incredible trend toward urbanization and, and in a very meta way, um, Amazon setting the uh, 
the trend for what is a modern um, urban campus look like rather than being out in the suburbs and, and industrial parks. And Jet just caters to the, that demographic and, and, and plays on that trend so much better than Walmart's existing business. So do we think that um, this means that we're going to see biodomes in Hoboken? Nailed it. It's exactly what I mean. For for those of you not in Seattle, Amazon is building these like super crazy. Um, is it biospheres? Biospheres, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, obviously, biodome is the is the yeah. yeah. Um, sure. <laughs> but the uh, yeah, it's like an indoor or, or like an indoor Central Park type thing for Amazon employees and and people. In the... I think it's going to be open to the public. Oh, in, really? In uh, right in downtown Seattle. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, right near in the middle of Amazon's campus. Um, we, yeah, I'm trying to like take off my, obviously we're huge fans of Amazon here. So like, I'm trying, I'm really trying to take off my Amazon's going to take over the world hat when, when looking at this thing. Cause I, I think more and more, even over the past year with Amazon's tremendous growth and just having a lot more faith in their, their long-term plan, I, I just start evaluating things as, are they really going to compete with Amazon? And I think that's a pretty fair assessment, but yeah. in, in looking they're at they're like this generation's sure Microsoft, like you know, right, uh, right, like in the '90s, you know, any company that was trying to raise venture capital, like the first question would be like, "Well, what are you going to do when Microsoft starts competing with you?" And then Google, and that was like yeah, the and question Google for a while. And then Facebook. So here's and, this is like a great allegory. So um, mobile undid Microsoft, or at least the old Microsoft way. Like, what will be the thing that pushes Amazon into irrelevancy? Yeah, great question. I mean, and I think this is like, uh, obviously, you know, self-admittedly, we're both huge Amazon fanboys here. But like, I don't think it's Jet, you know? <laughs> I think it's something. Yeah. And, and I think there's also a good chance that... You mean whatever, like it wasn't the Mac? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there's a good chance that whatever that is comes from Amazon itself, you know? Um, you know, they're making big investments into drones with prime air, like that could be hugely disruptive because that changes the economics of delivery and fulfillment. Um, you know, it could be voice, uh, that they're doing with Alexa because that changes the customer experience of how you order. Um, you know, it could be 3d printing, right. With like you products that you're buying don't get made at a factory anymore. They get made Maybe they get made at your house, but maybe they get made locally uh, and then, you know, just last mile delivered to you. Amazon's investing in that, too. Like, it's hard right. to see, you know, what the blind, maybe virtual reality. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. The other lens to look at that through is maybe um, we're just mixing tech th themes all through here this episode. But it, it's one of the things that that is talked about with why Apple nailed mobile is because Apple like skipped a generation and lost the previous war. So it's it's like who's sitting out this one and will be like way behind and gasping their last breath to come up with something truly innovative that unseats Amazon. I've been thinking about this too. Um, there's a great article uh, that we'll link to in the show notes. Um, series of articles that have come out uh, this week on Apple interviews with the senior team. Yeah, they're doing um, a ton of PR right now. They, they must be trying getting to hide ready something. for the yeah. September 9th. Thing. Yep, yep. Um, uh, but there's a really good one with Tim Cook, and uh, he kind of talks about this a little bit. And and I I love this because. In tech, like it's so easy for us to like always be thinking like, what's the next thing? Like, you know, what's the you know, 
And and he talks about this, like the interviewer asked him, you know, iPhone growth is slowing, you know, it actually was down last quarter. Like, what's next after mobile? Like, is it a car? Is it, you know, AR? Um, and Tim makes this great point. He's like, mobile is the greatest market that technology has ever seen. And we are still so early in it. Like, every person on the planet is going to have a smartphone. And half of them do already. And but so the, many people that never had computers have smartphones. Exactly. Like, you can't even compare, like, yeah, okay, let's look at the auto industry. Like, it's way smaller than the phone industry. Mm. Um, and his point is that, like, you know, he says mobile still has so many amazing years of growth ahead of it. Like, it's, you know, to use an Amazon phrase, it's day one, you know, still 10 years into the smartphone. Um, and I think Amazon is kind of the same thing. Like, that's their phrase. It's day one. Like, you know, e-commerce uh is day one you know there's still so much ahead of it yeah it's five percent of u.s retail like there's so much ahead of it yeah i was going to refute the tim cook thing because like two and a half billion people or three billion people or something have smartphones so there's like two to three x more growth left in it well his point was that um his point wasn't so much that it was like think about all of the the corners of your life that your smartphone is going to be a critical part of in the future that it isn't today. Like Mm -hmm. Uber, great example. Like Mm -hmm. who would have thought the smartphone would have like been your taxi a couple years ago and now it is. But like, is the smartphone your doctor today? No. Will it be in five or 10 years? Maybe. Right. Um, you know, is, uh, is the smartphone, you know, whatever. Was the smartphone how you bought stuff on Amazon five years ago? No. no. Is it how you buy stuff on Amazon now? Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and, and you make a great point on the the retail thing. Like, it really, it's cheesy, but, like, it really is day one. Like, people overwhelmingly still don't buy their stuff online. So, yeah, I mean, I think, of course, there are things that, uh, waves that will come along that could disrupt Amazon. Um, but it's also, like, they... they Bezos has architected that company so well that like they're out at the front of every wave I can I can see at least. We want to thank our longtime friend of the show, Vanta, the leading trust management platform. Vanta, of course, automates your security reviews and compliance efforts. So frameworks like SOC 2, ISO 27001, GDPR, and HIPAA compliance and monitoring. Vanta takes care of these otherwise incredibly time and resource draining efforts for your organization and makes them fast and simple. Yep, Vanta is the perfect example of the quote that we talk about all the time here on Acquired. Jeff Bezos, his idea that a company should only focus on what actually makes your beer taste better, i.e. spend your time and resources only on what's actually going to move the needle for your product and your customers and outsource everything else that doesn't. Every company needs compliance and trust with their vendors and customers. It plays a major role in enabling revenue because customers and partners demand it, but yet it adds zero flavor to your actual product. Vanta takes care of all of it for you. No more spreadsheets, no fragmented tools, no manual reviews to cobble together your security and compliance requirements. It is one single software pane of glass that connects to all of your services via APIs and eliminates countless hours of work for your organization. There are now AI capabilities to make this even more powerful, and they even integrate with over 300 external tools. Plus, they let customers build private integrations with their internal systems. And perhaps most importantly, your security reviews are now real-time instead of static, so you can monitor and share with your customers and partners to give them added confidence. 
So whether you're a startup or a large enterprise and your company is ready to automate compliance and streamline security reviews like Vanta's 7,000 customers around the globe and go back to making your beer taste better, head on over to vanta.com acquired and just tell them that Ben and David sent you. And thanks to friend of the show, Christina, Vanta's CEO, all acquired listeners get $1,000 of free credit. Vanta.com slash acquired. All yeah. right, let's get into um, what would have happened otherwise. Yeah. Um. Well, I can tell you one thing that would not have happened. <laughs> Jet would not have sold to Amazon under any circumstances. I mean, I can't, uh, I can't imagine Lori, you know, working for Jeff again. Yeah. And okay. So that's not a possibility. Uh, so the Walmart thing falls through. Let's say Walmart's just not willing to pay the price tag. Is it like to Target or one of the other sort of bigger? Yeah, or you know, Google retailers. Um, well, why a technology company? Like why why a Google or? Well, Google's been experimenting in many ways over the last couple of years with trying to compete with Amazon in different ways. You know, there was Google Shopping Express, which um, has never really been serious. never taken off, but they sunk a ton of money into that, mm. um, uh, and a whole bunch of initiatives. Uh, I don't think any of which have really worked, but um, that they're working on. Yeah. Um, and so you could imagine that, I mean, because I don't know if they still are, but for a long time, Amazon was the number one advertiser on Google. They spent more money on AdWords than anyone else in the world. Oh, man, I totally believe that because that you it, it's amazing when you search for a product now, how your your organic search result and your paid search result are both for that product on Amazon. And like neither Google nor Amazon are happy about that. You know, Amazon is aggressively trying to move, do everything they can to reduce that dependency. Right. It's like Amazon's paying the Google tax. Yeah, exactly. And Google is like, Oh man, that's a huge opportunity. And like, that's the biggest part of our business. Like, how can we just do that directly? Yeah. And Oh man, this is really interesting fact. Uh, so I've been using smile.amazon.com for a long time. Mm, um, They basically take the affiliate fee that you would be giving to, um, uh, you know, a, a, whoever referred you, like clicking through the, from the wire cutter or something, and donate that to the charity of your choice. And I was like, that's so interesting. I always wondered, like, what's the motive for Amazon to do that? And they basically are trying to give you a strong enough incentive to bookmark it so that you hit Amazon as direct traffic instead of going uh, through Google and paying yeah. that customer acquisition. Because even tax. though they'll then pay that affiliate fee on everything you buy. They won't be paying the AdWord tax to Google. Yeah. It's like, we'd rather donate this money than give it to Google. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So, I mean, I think somebody else buys this company. Like, y- yeah, like it, they it, were not going to be able to continue to raise the yeah. amount of money that they would need. No. Which is, is so interesting that, it, I mean, Amazon did. And but Amazon did it in the public markets. And Amazon did it before like when there was no amazon to compete with yeah right they built that business over a very long period of time right and they did it financed by the public markets yep neither of which jet had the luxury of doing they had to do it super fast and they had to do it from private market investors yeah and they definitely get picked up because investors have put a ton of money into this thing it's not it's not going to zero like that this company is going to get picked up at some point for some kind of favorable outcome yeah, and I mean, you got to imagine that that was a huge part of the investment thesis for 
all the VCs and and the mutual funds that invested in in Jet. Yeah, and you start to wonder too. Like a few months ago, do you start getting if you're Mark Laurie, do you start getting investor pressure to be looking around? Yeah, like it's clear you're burning tons of capital. Like growth is there. You're getting right. building a customer base, but like <laughs> you you've explicitly told the market you have no profit engine. Right, and then you've explicitly told the market that you no longer think you can beat Amazon. Right. Um, something's got to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another thing that was going through my head is, okay, so like, why is this, we had um, Taylor Barrett on last week and he was talking about the the acquisition that, that, that he thinks, or the acquisitions that he thinks go the best are the ones where the founder of that company, the acquirer, the company to be acquired is, excited to get their hands on the assets and resources of the larger company to make their their original vision fulfilled and more yeah. successful. And what are Walmart's assets that Mark Laurie would be happy to get his hands on to make that dream come to fruition? Yeah. Like why is that a good place to land for Jet? Well I think um I think it's a couple of things. One, a lot of money. Yeah. Like way Walmart has way more money than Jet would ever be able to raise. So yeah, that's an interesting thing that like if if it really is true that they're going to let Jet continue to be its own thing and they I mean it's a tall order to to hold Walmart to their word of continuing to pour money into this thing. Like we don't know what promises were made, but like this thing needs a ton of capital to grow. Walmart's effectively the best private investor or maybe the best since they didn't have access to the public markets and definitely couldn't have IPO'd. Um it's like, hey, this is actually a great place to, if if they're committed to it, fulfill our mission and just yep. pour a ton of money into growing. And I think that's number two, which was Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> clearly, well, at least if you listen to his, the interviews after the acquisition and the press release, you know, clearly has a man crush on uh, on Mark Laurie. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he, and you know, it, Doug has said, you know, Mark's basically going to have carte blanche to to do what he needs to do to make this a successful business and all the resources he needs. Uh, And then I think three, the other, the third asset um, that if I'm Mark, I'm excited about is, is the customer base of Walmart. Like the vision of Jet originally was like serve, you know, the middle-class Americans that are price conscious and that's Walmart's customer base. Yeah, that's true. And then before we move on, there was one other thing I was thinking is, it's really difficult to compete with Amazon now merely because of how razor thin their margins are. And Amazon, you know, famously your margin is my opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a, it's a Jeff Bezos quote from a long time ago when they were starting Amazon. And he was saying that about Walmart, um, you know, that they were making a few, what, three, four, 5%, um, of profit margin on each sale. And Amazon makes in the neighborhood of one or less, and they, um, it, Amazon was growing up in this world where there was opportunity to compete on price there. And Jet had a really hard time, obviously, competing with Amazon price since there just wasn't much margin left. Do you know of any historical precedent where there was already a race to the bottom? The one company became dominant because they were incredibly cheap on razor thin margins. Like, how mm. were they upended? How did they, because presumably you have to compete with them on some other axis or some new technology comes around yeah. and upend them. I don't know. It's hard to imagine. Like, 
I think about like Microsoft, you know, or um, traditionally, you know, the whole your margin is margin is my opportunity quote applies to high margin businesses. Right. Like Microsoft's problem was they made so much money on Windows that they couldn't transition to a world or transition fast enough in the last generation to a world where the operating system is commoditized by the browser. Um, But if you already are operate in a world where you know you're a commodity, it's super hard to get disrupted. Yeah. And that goes right into my tech theme. This is such a classic innovator's dilemma. Yep. I mean, for 20 years now, Walmart has watched and their, their biggest fear materialize where Amazon just grows and becomes this mega behemoth and, and starts stealing their business. But they can't seem to compete because <laughs> what that would involve is, is, cannibalizing their incredible business and building a super low margin business and you know that might be a long-term strategy and might be the necessary long-term strategy to stay alive but they're a publicly traded company like how do you tell your shareholders you know the next 10 years are going to be pretty rough going because we're um you know we're undercutting ourselves and building this thing that makes way less money for a long time yeah super hard i mean and again, we're in a minute. We're going to grade this, but um, man, it's hard for Walmart out there right now. Like on the one hand, like they spent a lot of money for something that I think at least Ben and I feel like is still going to lose to Amazon. Like Walmart's still going to lose, and Jet's still going to lose. Um, but they spent three billion dollars, three point three. Like that's not a lot of money to Walmart. So mm. you know, it's a shot. Yeah, uh, it's a better shot than they'd have on their own. Right, right. I was thinking about that in the lens of like, how do I want to evaluate this? Uh, it definitely puts them in a more favorable position than they were. But unfortunately, I think we have to evaluate on the lens of, is this actually worth th- that much money? Where that falls flat, and I think what my real position is, is you kind of have to do an expected value calculation and figure out, like, what do you think the chances that this thing actually succeeds are? <laughs> that the, the Jet will return in profit dollars more <laughs> than $3.3 billion. Yeah, and, like, taking a 20-year time horizon, I mean, this is, like, a potentially trillion-dollar... Um, Category. Yeah, so... So, I mean, there is a non-zero chance that Jet can can, you know, can either beat amazon or become a meaningful number two like we could be wrong right right let's let's say this becomes a a trillion dollar business i mean if there's a one percent chance um that it succeeds the expected value is still 10 10 billion right like that it it actually kind of it great 3x yeah exactly exactly (laughs) you know um the, the, this the, is the art uh of being an investor versus the science like right what are these probabilities yeah and i you know uh, uh, assigning one percent and assigning a trillion are super arbitrary, but right. the the magical nature of the whole thing is it's binary. Like either it's really going to work and it's going to be company saving, which we're both saying is the very unlikely, or but it could happen. Yeah, or it's definitely not going to work. And we know for a fact, or let's like say that it was the far more likely outcome if they didn't acquire jet is that Walmart just was going to totally lose. Like they could not have competed with Amazon. Well, and back to the people thing, right? Like man, $3.3 billion is an expensive aqua hire, but like who's going to, who would Walmart be able to recruit to go be a senior leader at Walmart who would see them through, you know, guide them through this like 
you know, last stand um, that actually <laughs> really knew how to do e-commerce and knew it from the best and knew it from the inside of Amazon. Like, nobody. Yeah. And if you're recruited to be that exec, you have this uphill battle of recruiting all the people that you know are talented to come work at Walmart with you. This way you get to bring like a world-class team. Yep. Yep. Even um, even if you're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, I feel like we're, we're bleeding into conclusion, which we'll get to real quick. But um, two tech themes I wanted to mention quickly. One, we've touched on a bunch, but I just think this is such a like in terms of handicapping Jet's chances for success, like I so totally believe in aggregation theory and Ben Thompson, Ben Thompson's aggregation theory and the idea that on the internet, the best customer experience wins. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is where I think the logic of Jet was flawed, which is that, oh, like there's a segment of customers that care about price more than anything else. And they don't care about the other two parts of the Holy Trinity of, you know, the Amazon Holy Trinity of retail, which is price convenience selection on the internet. I think that's wrong. I think everybody cares about all those and Amazon can offer all three to, to everybody, to lower class people, to middle class people, to upper class people. Hmm. Um, and like who wants to think that they don't deserve great convenience and great selection? Like nobody, you know? Um, so, I think, again, I could be wrong, you know, but but I think the logic behind Jet was flawed in that um, all three are important to everybody. Um, so that's one. Two, I also think like um, this also, we've been really hard on Jet on this episode, but um, it, it also is a little bit of the faster horse thing to me too. Like we were talking about like what's going to actually disrupt Amazon. I don't think it's Jet, you know, like it's jet is a faster horse like what's what'll disrupt amazon is like drones you know or 3d printing or virtual reality right and it's so interesting to look at walmart acquiring jet it's like okay cool jet can be competitive on price much like walmart was already uh, always competitive on price and their business model was to make a little margin amazon has this different business model where they've created this incredible flywheel where they make a small margin on third-party sellers for using the platform. Oh, yeah. And then they also charge those third-party sellers that use fulfillment by Amazon for like leasing space in their warehouses. They've created this totally different... And running different- their websites on AWS. Right, right. They've created this totally different business model that's not making a couple pennies on every transaction. It's like like having a, a percentage of every piece of the back end and the logistics leading up to that transaction. Yep. And... I I think they're they're playing a different game. Yep. Whereas Jeb fundamentally was playing the retail business model. Yeah. Um okay, conclusion. Uh D. Like it's it's not an F because Walmart had to do something. Yeah. Um I'm going to go see uh for the reason that I was saying a minute ago which is like they had to do something, and this, I think, was the best that they could do. Like, again, they weren't going to hire, like, what search <laughs> yeah. firm in the world is going to take on that job of, like, you know, hey, the JD says build Amazon within Walmart. You know, like, n- nobody who's actually capable of that is going to take that job. Yeah. Yeah. So you think this is just as good as YouTube? <laughs> okay okay c minus <laughs> our, our no. system's all slidey and we're all over the place yeah um okay that's what we got for jet uh hopefully you enjoyed it uh this was a lot of fun doing got a couple sections couple sections to wrap up quickly here follow-ups ben 
Did you watch, did you see the new Star Wars trailer during the Olympics? Lucasfilm follow-up alert. Oh my God. So my, um, spoiler alert. And let's give about five seconds of me talking to spoiler to for the trailer. Not it's for still there. There are people. There are dedicated people who don't want to watch the trailers. Um, my favorite tweet of the whole thing. So obviously, there's this incredible moment at the end where you get about a half second where you see Darth Vader, and it's like, dun, 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 it's amazing, dun, dun. right? And I don't, I don't know how much we want to get into this on the show, but you know, Twitter's become this place that is not necessarily the greatest place to hang out all the time for for all people and i'm gonna look up the actual tweet here it is it's from craig hockenberry the developer of twitterific everyone's worked up about seeing darth vader for half a second seeing a strong female protagonist for the other 215 is more important yeah love that it was awesome it was like mic drop i know i found myself like i saw that right after i saw the trailer and i'm thinking oh like I, I and the rest of America and the world are all worked up about Darth, and there's this incredible shift going on in like the the world where the most anticipated movie of this year has a uh, amazing strong female lead. Yeah, as did the previous yep. Star Wars movie. Yep. Um. Yeah. What? Uh. Disney just continues to be a stellar steward of Lucasfilm and. Star Wars and like man, two Star Wars films in two years, and I, and and then we're gonna get three in three years. Awesome, right. and we're like so amped up about this trailer and with this strong story. female protagonists, right? And we've never met any of these characters. Like these are entire, except for that little quick clip of Darth Vader. Like yeah. this is these are people that exist in a universe that we're invested in, but we aren't invested in a single one of these these uh, these characters. So yep. Um, I'm Tremendous pumped. job to to Disney as yep. usual. Okay, uh, new section that we're adding. Uh, this will be very quick, um, uh, but we we got several requests for this. Is hot takes? Yeah, thanks. So, thanks for uh, throwing this out in the Slack as an idea. Yeah, um, there have been a ton of M and A transactions happening recently. It's like they're coming hot and heavy. We should do an episode just based on like what is going is on in the market. Yeah, yeah, we could. We could do some fun stuff. Uh, so four that we have today for the idea here is we're going to do 30 seconds or less quick takes on these deals. Number one, uh, Verizon acquiring Yahoo. Yeah. like <laughs> I feel like we just did that episode, so we don't have to do that. <laughs> Man, I saw these great, uh, more great tweets about like that, that Verizon, that Yahoo is going to be like the fabric that holds all of Verizon's AOL assets together what? or something. It's like, I have no idea what that means. I like That's like, uh, that's like random startup generator right, right. <laughs> that you it, have a history in, Ben. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. We won't get into that here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number two, uh, Lyft turns down acquisition offer from GM. Reportedly. Um better have been really low like to, yeah. to me i don't know if there's a strong place for a second player here i think that ride sharing lends itself to a winner take all dynamic because density is so important customer experience yeah like if 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 i wait two minutes for an uber versus 10 minutes for a lift i'm opening up uber every time yeah 
Yeah, I remain bullish. I tried to start a company a few years ago called Red Ride that was a ride sharing aggregator, and I remain I remain bullish on aggregating all the other options. But um, I don't think there is a way that you can be almost exactly like Uber, but slightly worse without like a different value prop. That's never been a winning value prop. I'm going to be exactly like X, but I'm going to be slightly worse. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, close to home, Microsoft acquired local Seattle startup Beam. Yeah. I'm super curious to see what they're going to do with it. I mean, I we don't know how, how big the deal was. Beam and, was an incredibly fast-growing Twitch-like service that enabled interactivity and um, a lot of features that weren't available so that you on could Twitch. actually play games or you could you could influence influence things that were happening in the game while somebody else was playing yeah great job to to that company to for for building something that, that caught on so fast um tech stars and and all their other super young folks incredibly talented founders uh big big congrats to everybody there yeah to me i think they're it's they're gonna meld into whatever um is part of the the broader gaming strategy right now. Yep. But I don't think that they're going to like bet on Beam being this distribution vehicle well, it's, to compete it's with Twitch. Not Twitch. I mean, Twitch is a Twitch is a juggernaut. So, um, yeah. but will be great as part of Microsoft. Okay. Final one. Monster.com getting acquired by Ronstadt. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Yeah. It, it's so funny thinking about like early days of LinkedIn when that was getting started. <laughs> Um, that that monster was the thing with the Super Bowl commercials, right? Monster yeah. was like, the place that, that uh, before I was thinking about. Jobs, I think the deal size the was a little over four hundred million dollars, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's what a fiftieth, uh, less than a fiftieth, the size of the LinkedIn deal. Yeah, and uh, you know the trend there, like let's call it what it is. Network effects are so powerful. A, f- a flat site like Monster is just never going to compete with a. Uh, a, a site that has all the right network effects and incentives that LinkedIn does. Network effects. They are a thing. We should just rename the podcast. That's network what effects. we should, Yeah. Uh, aggregation theory, network effects, flywheel. Perfect. Boom. We don't have to do <laughs> any more episodes. Okay. Carve out. What you got, Ben? All right. So uh, another podcast for me, it is um, another a previous car route that I had was a talk at Google by Michael Maubasson. Oh, so good. Yeah, incredible. And he has this great book, um, Untangling Skill and Luck, The Success Equation. He has a podcast episode where he is on the Masters in Business podcast. Uh, it is a Bloomberg News publication and uh, really, really good. He talks about a lot of the same things, but applies it more to fund management um, about luck versus skill. He talks about uh, a, a lot of the things that we all know, but get caught up in the um, the glitz and glamour of what company is hyper growth right now. And he kind of like brings it home and, and makes you realize investing is more about identifying mispriced assets and, and places where you have an information mismatch and then using that information to your advantage. And everyone is, is very, very focused on, you know, um, will Amazon go up? So I'm going to put money in Amazon. But uh, how there's all these other strategies around using using information to your advantage to, uh, um, yeah, identify and, and bet on mis- mispriced assets. Oh, man. May, you, you set my heart aflutter. I thought you were going to say that, that Michael was starting a podcast of his own, and that would have been like the most amazing thing I'd heard <laughs> all wish. month. Um, sadly, sadly, no. But Michael, if you're listening, <laughs> you got to get on here. Um, 
But uh, just to add on to that really quickly, he also uh, did release um, a about 20, 30 page piece uh, this month or last too with sort of 10 top, uh, top, you know, eternal truths of investing. Mm. And it's so good. He is, uh, he is just a treasure. Are we both following Bill Gurley on Twitter? I think we are. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's both of our source. Yeah, I think that's both of our source. Uh, I have a I have a, a non Bill Gurley carve out though. All right, uh, mine is actually Strava, um, which is an app uh, for iPhone and Android designed for uh, for working out, uh, for bicycling, for running, for swimming. Uh, and it is so fun. I bet, I bet a lot of our listeners are already on it, but Ben and I went for a long, uh, at times ill-fated, but really fun bike ride this weekend. And we both use Strava to track our ride. And it's just like, the app is so well done back to customer experience. Like it's the little things like we didn't have to tell Strava that we were biking together, but at the end of it, because it knew that we were, it was tracking us our rides and that it was, you know, 90% plus together, it joined our rides together. And then to all of our friends who are following us on the app, like it was Ben and David rode together and, um, and your friends give you kudos and just like the, um, all of the little, th- the, the segments, there the, are the leaderboards, the leaderboards. The it's so well done and it makes, um, working out and, and exercising in outdoors, which I love to do anyway, just that much more fun. And it makes you feel like you're part of a community, which is super cool too. And their, um, their marketing and brand is just like, oh, yeah. so on point. If like, you like to bike or run, like just go watch all their videos that they've produced that uh, it'll make you like literally go out the door and start running (laughs) yeah yeah it's awesome this is a great time to tell you about one of our very favorite companies crusoe so crusoe as listeners know by now is a clean compute cloud provider specifically built for ai workloads NVIDIA is one of their major partners, and literally Crusoe's data centers are nothing but racks and racks of A100s and H100s. And because Crusoe's cloud is purpose-built for AI and run on wasted, stranded, or clean energy, they can provide significantly better performance per dollar than traditional cloud providers. Yes, we talked about that on our ACQ2 episode with Crusoe CEO Chase Lockmiller. The other element that makes Crusoe special is the environmental angle. Crusoe, of course, locates their data centers at stranded energy sites. So think oil flares, wind farms that can't use all the energy they generate, etc., and uses that power that would otherwise be wasted to run your AI workloads instead. Yep. Obviously, it's a huge benefit for the environment and for customers on costs since Crusoe doesn't rely on the energy grid. Energy is the second largest cost of running AI after, of course, the price you pay NVIDIA for the chips. And these lower energy costs get passed on to customers. It's super cool that they can put their data centers out there in these remote locations where, quote unquote, energy happens, as opposed to the other hyperscalers such as AWS and Google and Azure, who need to build their data centers close to major traffic hubs where the internet happens because they are doing everything in their clouds. Yep. If you, your company, or your portfolio companies would like to use the lower cost and more performant infrastructure for your AI workloads, go to crusocloud.com slash acquired. That's C-R-U-S-O-E cloud.com slash acquired, or click the link in the show notes. All right, that's it. If you uh, aren't subscribed and you'd like to hear more, you can subscribe now from your favorite podcast client. 
And uh, if you feel so inclined, we'd love a review on iTunes or a tweet or a post on Facebook. So uh, thank you so much and uh, have a great day, everyone. We'll see you next time. Who got the truth? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Who got the truth now? Huh?